0: This reading has got everything. Fear, doubt, belief, hope, faith, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, please strengthen our faith today. Be present to us and bless this time together. You are sovereign over our lives. Strengthen us and increase our capacity for love. And forgive our weaknesses. Amen. I want this morning to give you some food for your journey. This is the start of the summer. <laughs> My intention is to give you a packed lunch and a flask of faith to take with you on your holiday. If you have already gone and are listening to this on podcast, send me a postcard. Some of us aren't going away, but all this is still relevant So why in August have I chosen a reading about the resurrection? Well, first of all, as Christians, the resurrection is always with us and is a sign of our hope. Every day that Jesus is alive in our lives and in our thoughts and our prayers and actions, the resurrection is with us. And it is because of the resurrection we say that Jesus is alive. Jesus was the resurrection man. Because of the resurrection, we believe in a world redeemed. I want to show you that because of that belief, we are a people to make a difference. We are a sign of the kingdom. Let's talk about that reading for a bit. For me, it's about hope versus fear in our lives. It's a bit of a struggle that we all have. Fear can be very limiting and holding back. And that is why we need an understanding of the resurrection in our lives. So I'm going to talk about resurrection, fear, and hope in that order. One commentator I know made the point that what happened with Jesus was not a resuscitation. It was in fact a resurrection in the sense that Jesus died and rose from the dead, coming back from life, coming back to life. And what we have read today takes place, so to speak, in the faith gap between belief and unbelief. Thomas was only asking Jesus to let him have the same experience as his fellow disciples. I feel the label doubting Thomas isn't really justified. And maybe it's because I actually identify with Thomas in some way. But if, if we read the passage closely, we learn Jesus has already shown his wounds to the other disciples in order to prove that it is really him. Thomas wasn't with them and he had been away and when he comes back from wherever he has been to find out that the, the disciples are transformed he is puzzled and he remembers that before he went they were tragically gloomy and cowering in fear that the Jews were going to come for them and depressed because they thought that Jesus, their leader and teacher was gone and never to return Anyway, in comes Thomas and finds the disciples transformed and filled with joy and peaceful and asks himself, have they gone crazy? Have they forgotten everything and all the angst and trauma that they have just been through in the preceding week? Have they forgotten the awful sight of Jesus nailed to the cross? Are they having some sort of emotional reaction, he asks himself. Thomas cross-examines them and finds that they have what seems to him a crazy story about Jesus having appeared to them. But a few days later, Jesus appears to Thomas, and in turn, his life is transformed. Aren't we so like Thomas? We each need to have a personal turning point in our lives. A turning point where we say, yes, it is you, Lord. This turning point for Thomas wasn't a neat and tidy one that he could have had with the rest of the community, and it shows that God treats all of us as individuals and Thomas, therefore, had an individual experience of the risen Lord. The Bible passage has some has a series of very strong messages in it. It reinforces that there has been a physical resurrection, that Jesus literally got up after being dead, and that he walked about, something seemingly impossible to someone who had been wounded and killed so thoroughly, but demonstrates that to God everything is possible. To help us believe this, we have the witness statements of those that saw the risen Jesus. John, the writer of this gospel, was one of the disciples that met the risen Lord. We can say the same of St. Paul, as said in one of his letters. We don't rely on made-up stories. And it is evident that St. Paul, on his conversion, made a detailed study of this. And he says... "I." Um, I passed on to you what I received, which is of the greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins, as written in the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised to life three days later, and that he appeared to all 12 apostles, and then he appeared to more than 500 of his followers. The resurrection is the essential proof that Jesus is the Son of God. If there is no resurrection, there could still be doubt. If we did not believe in the resurrection, we might say, as the centurion did, Jesus was a good man. But because Jesus rose from the dead, we can go far beyond this and say he must have risen from the dead because of the intervention of God in human history. That Jesus, the Son of God, was raised in the power of God in order to prove that God exists. To prove that he was present for humanity. Only God could have snatched victory from the closing doors, jaws of sin and death. The reading also speaks powerfully about the suffering of Jesus. We can imagine or put ourselves in the place of Thomas and seeing the wounds of Christ, the extraordinary and great intimacy there is in touching the wounds of someone else. Normally, when we're injured, we will only let a family member touch us or a a medical professional. Um, Jesus says to Thomas, put your hands here. If in any one of us it excites compassion, and even the most stony-hearted of us can imagine what it must have been like to touch the wounds of Christ and to understand the high price that Jesus paid. It's no wonder then that Thomas dissolves and says, my Lord and my God, I want to talk briefly about fear now. It is essential to confront fear in our lives and to confront what fear can do to us. Thomas was experiencing fear before he knew the risen Lord. And maybe that is the story for each one of us in this church today, that we experienced fear before we knew the presence of the Lord in our lives. As a young man, my fear of doing the wrong thing or even the right thing, was debilitating. But as the quote says, the only thing we should fear is fear itself. We have a very real problem with fear in our society at the moment. As someone who works part of the week in London, this is brought home to me nearly every working day. The media stirs up fear in us daily, partly by accurately reporting what has happened, but also by dwelling on issues And over dissecting them and analyzing them. Very often we make ourselves do things and in a sense we do need to be prepared to feel the fear and do whatever we need to do anyway. But only after we have discerned it and made sure that God is in it, we need to learn on that one. The reading in a way is about fear and what happens when we are afraid. We too can barricade ourselves in rooms for fear of what might happen. You will notice that the disciples were holed up. Their door was barred. They were kept inside by fear in their room. They had the door bolted so that the Jews couldn't come in. You could say that if Jesus had turned up, they would have, if Jesus had not turned up, they would have stayed in that condition forever. But when Jesus appears among them, the situation changes. The good thing, though, is that that we are a people of hope and that we can see beyond this. We have a redemption song to sing and a hope rising within us because of our faith in Jesus and the experience of the love of God in our lives. Hope, that is the truth of the matter. There is hope in our lives because of the presence of Jesus. Just as he comes into the presence of the disciples, with the presence of God, he comes into our lives and encourages us to see the deep, that deep calls to deep, and that we are rescued by the saving power of the cross of resurrection that breaks the power of darkness. Jesus arrives in that room with his disciples. Jesus arrives in our lives and things change for the better. He prays with the disciples and us saying, Peace be with you. He inspires the disciples and us by the giving of the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit is what brings grace and sanctifying fire into the whole of the Christian church, making us holy or holier, making and marking us for the kingdom of God by putting his stamp of ownership on us. The Holy Spirit is the animator of the church Without the Holy Spirit's presence, we would be nothing, or not very much. The presence of the Holy Spirit is what makes the whole of the Christian church thrive and succeed. The whole of the history of the church, with its ebb and flow, and it is amazing. But the growth from a disparate or desperate group of 12 apostles and Jesus is extraordinary. We should never allow ourselves to forget that. What are we like? Are we held back by something that we are frightened about? Is there something unresolved in our life that stops us from getting to where we should? Take courage today that things can be different. Let God deeper into your life and it can change. Jesus walked right through the barricaded door somehow and then changed the disciples' fear. If we have barricaded him, he can walk straight through our door. There is a saying in the New Testament, perfect love drives out fear. The presence of Jesus in that room made a difference and changed the disciples. As soon as they accepted the resurrection, they began to behave differently. If you study what happened in the early church, you will see that there was an explosion of activity that occurred immediately after the Holy Spirit came. If we let Jesus walk into our barricaded rooms, this can happen to us. In a sense, it already has for a lot of us, and we can tell from what impact shared with us earlier that, you know, when we take a step of faith, God will bless it and bless it in an extraordinary way that we cannot anticipate. Uh, I, I have a lot of admiration for the four women that went away with that group of young young people. And there should have been some men with them as well. To be totally honest, so I, I pray. I pray about that, but I also recognise that you know there was an extraordinary thing that happened this week, in that they felt the fear and they they took a step in faith, and it was blessed. And we need to do more of that. So I pray peace to our hearts this morning. And I pray that God will instil us with a hope of the world redeemed by the presence of God. So the next section is be the answer to your own prayers. All this hope. We have something to do with it. We are called to cooperate with God in the redemption of the world. Jesus has really spelt it out. With co heirs to the kingdom of God, sorry, as co heirs to the kingdom of God and part of the family through spiritual adoption, we must help usher in the kingdom of God by living changed lives and allowing ourselves to be changed and redeemed. In a sense, we do have to become the answer to our own prayers. If we stand on the street corner and see a lonely person, it's no good standing there and saying, Dear God, send someone to that lonely person when we have the capacity most of the time to be the very person to speak to the lonely. If you want the world to be a better place, be better, not bitter yourself. We are called to echo the kindness of God in our thoughts and actions. The effect of the Holy Spirit within us is to change our hearts of stone to hearts of compassion, hearts who care and dare to act. It is good to think about this over the summer and I came across a lovely quote instructing me to throw kindness around like confetti. Isaiah warns not to neglect our own family in our charity. That might work both ways during the school holidays with both children and adults making more room and time for each other. He, that is Isaiah, also speaks... Also says something which I return to over and over again. I use it sometimes to make me slow down and be still in the presence of God. And this is from Isaiah. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait on him. Did you hear that? He longs to be gracious to you this summer. So this morning, I was like uh, poking around in the prayer room, and I found this book, which is, uh, I see that I had in December 1975, which is... uh, pretty far out there's a little section i uh i highlighted which says i am now deeply convinced this is the writer saying this i am now deeply convinced that the power of love is from god i believe that no one can truly love unless god is active within him i hear jesus say without me you can do nothing but then my eyes rose to the top of the page and it says the basic question is Do you really want to love? Are you willing to be the public utility, the town pump which is there for all to use? Do you really want to let Jesus be reincarnated in your humanity? Jesus is the man for others. If you give yourselves to him, he will immediately put you in the service of others in one way or another. Do you really want to volunteer for this life of loving? You can't do it on your own. He must do it in you. Will you have enough faith to release his power into your life? So I hope I've given you some food for the journey this morning, the journey across summer. So here is your packed lunch. Whether you take the kingdom of God on holiday or stay at home with it, remember to do these things. Throw kindness around like confetti. Be in the moment, savouring the present time. Practice repentance and rest. Give it a go. Forgive each other. Believe in the resurrection. Believe in the loving kindness of God. Believe that we live in a world that is being redeemed.